I will be forever the method. You're the king of kings, <laughs> There's always a pecking order. The little peckers never mess with the big peckers. So I'm a rooster, and he's a chicken for me. This episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast is brought to you by our Patreon sponsors. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon sponsor yourself, please go to the website, bodybuildinglegendshow.com, and you'll see the link in the upper right-hand corner, or check out the link below in the description. All right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast, where we talk to the legends of bodybuilding, and we also talk about the history of bodybuilding. I'm your host, John Hansen. On today's show, we're going to have part two of our interview with Brian Moss, who was the founder of the Better Bodies Gym in New York City. And then Brian went on to create a clothing line with Better Bodies, and he was also an agent. He started his own agency, for particularly for women bodybuilders, during the 1980s. So he was a big influence on the women's bodybuilding movement in the 1980s. Today, Brian is a photographer, and so he is still involved in the bodybuilding world as a photographer. He's a very, very good photographer. So we're going to continue our discussion. We had part one of our interview with Brian last week on the show. So today we're going to have part two, where we're going to talk about how he transitioned into photography after he sold the Better Bodies Gym. And we'll also talk about his view on women's bodybuilding today and how it's changed since the 1980s. And we'll also talk to him a little bit about his relationship with Gladys Portuguese when she surprisingly left him for Jean-Claude Van Damme, who she ended up marrying. After the interview's over, I'm going to read article about Gladys. It was actually a cover story in the December 1986 issue of Flex Magazine, and it said, Gladys makes her move. Goodbye, Brian. Hello, Jean-Claude. So the name of the article is called Gladys Heads West by Carolyn McNamara. So it's kind of a short article, but I'm going to read that after our interview with Brian is over. And then um, because it is such a short article, I'm going to read another one. And this one comes from the September 1985 issue of Flex Magazine, and it is about Gladys, and Brian is interviewed in the article, and it's called Her Range is Limitless. And it's an interview with Brian about Gladys and about her potential, of course. So kind of two short articles, but I'm going to read those right after our interview with Brian is completed. All right. We are celebrating the sixth year anniversary of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. I think our first show was July 3rd, 2017, and we have now done 276 podcasts, including this one. So it's been six long years of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. I did not plan for it to go this long. I didn't really have any plans when I started. I could start interviewing some of the famous bodybuilders, the legends of the sport. Of course, our podcast goes from the 1960s to the 1980s. That's what I concentrate on with the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. Many of the current podcasts you see on bodybuilding or the YouTube channels, which they also call podcasts, they're just YouTube channels though. Um, most of them focus on the current state of bodybuilding. What drugs the guys are taking, who's looking big, who's winning the pro shows, who's going to win the Mr. Olympia Things like that. That's basically what they talk about. I do a podcast each week for old school labs called the Muscle Maturity Podcast. And that is on Rumble. It used to be on YouTube, but now it is on Rumble. And I do it with Nick Tregilli and Samir Banut. And that's what we talk about. We talk about just what's going on every week 
and the current state of bodybuilding. But the Bodybuilding Legends podcast is about the golden age of bodybuilding, the era that I grew up admiring. I started bodybuilding in 1977. I was 14 years old. I went to go see the Mr. Olympia that year in Columbus, Ohio, when Frank Zane won his first Mr. Olympia. And then I went back in 1978 and 79. And I also saw 1981 Mr. Olympia, where Franco Colombo won his second Mr. Olympia, the most controversial Mr. Olympia ever. So I grew up during that era. And then I started competing in 1979 when I was a teenager. So those years are very special to me, of course. That was the golden era of bodybuilding, as far as I'm concerned. And that's what I like talking about on this show. So all the guests that we have on were all from that era, from the 1960s to the 1980s. So we've talked to bodybuilders, writers, photographers, judges, anybody who was significant in that era, anybody who was a part of the bodybuilding scene, we've talked to on the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. So again, 276 episodes of crazy. So if you guys want to go back and listen to some of those episodes that if you haven't heard, if you're like a new listener to the podcast, you can go to the official website, which is bodybuildinglegendshow.com. And at the top, you'll see a link that will take you to the podcast page. And I have all of the interviews on there. As I think I mentioned this on the show before, if you go to Spotify or Apple podcasts, for some reason, they only have the last 100 shows. So if you go to our website, you can listen to all of them because a lot of times I'll get emails from people saying you should have this person, you should have that person on your show. And I've already done interviews with those people. So you just got to go back a little bit. The last couple of years, we've been doing it on Zoom. I think when the pandemic started in 2020, that's when Zoom, I never heard of Zoom before, but that's when it got popular. And so since then, we've been doing them on video. So a lot of those interviews are also on YouTube as well under my YouTube channel, which is John Hansen. I might start my own, another channel on YouTube soon, just for the Bodybuilding Legends podcast, because we have so many of those interviews on there. There's a lot of different videos on there. I also have bodybuilding history videos where I talk about a certain contest in a certain year. We have bodybuilding stories, which is just basically stories from the interviews. And I've also got a section on there from competitions or posing routines from certain bodybuilders. I've got Sergio Oliva's posing routine from 1984. I've got Muhammad Makawe's posing routine from the 1983 Olympia. I've got all these great, great posing routines on there. It's Lee Labrada's and many, many others. So you have to check that out when you get a chance on my YouTube channel. All right. So happy anniversary to us. And thank you to all you guys who continue to support the show. There's a lot of great supporters of us out there. We don't have a lot of numbers, I'll be honest. I mean, our downloads are not as popular as some of the bigger bodybuilding podcasts like Fuad Abiyad or some of these other ones or Dave Palumbo show on RX Muscle. But it is a pretty loyal audience and you guys really like it. You like this golden era just as much as I do. So I will keep this going as long as we can. All right. I got a couple of emails last week from last week's show. If you guys want to email me about anything, you can do that at naturalolympia at gmail.com. This one comes from Ron Dunn. And Ron says, hey, John, just passing along kudos on recent podcasts. Excellent interview with Brian Moss. I look forward to hearing part two. Brian was a true pioneer for women's bodybuilding and entrepreneurial in a lot of ways. But my favorite thing about him is his amazing photography. I can see his true artistry there. I love the Mike Quinn tribute. I listened to the original podcast and then I rewatched your YouTube version. The posing footage and photos you added were fantastic. I didn't realize what a great poser Mike was. Mike or Rick and Neil were great guests for that. 
given how well they both knew him, you couldn't have chosen better than those two. Rick Valente would make a great guest just to hear his 40 years at Gold's Gym stories and about his career. I'm looking forward to that book he's writing. As always, keep up the great work, my friend. All right. Thank you, Ron. And I agree with you totally. I think Ryan is a great photographer. And I love that Mike Quinn video I put together, too. I thought it was really great with all the addition of his posing routines. And I really love Mike's posing. When I was, a, I think I mentioned this before, when I was in my 20s and I was in bodybuilding and competing in the 80s, I used to always watch Mike's routines because he was so great. He was so energetic and so exciting. And that's what we're missing today in bodybuilding, for sure. You don't see routines like that anymore. Not the most technically great poser like Ali Labrada or Muhammad McAway, but just very exciting. And he did the right poses for his physique, and he picked the right music. So it was great. Rick Valente, we did a short interview with Rick, but I should have him back on. Maybe when he gets closer to finishing up his book, I'll definitely have him on. And then we can promote his book as well. All right, this one comes from Sean, and he says, Hi, John, I've been catching up on some of your past episodes. I was extremely impressed during your Rick Wayne interview with your ability to fill in a name or place that Rick Wayne was trying to recall. Your ability to recall and retain facts for each interviewee is really underestimated. It is the skill of a great interviewer, which you are. Your recent conversation on the Arnold documentary with the ever-knowledgeable Jerry Branham, I thought was a fair discussion of the strengths and weaknesses of the series. It should be commented that the movie episode skims over movies I thought he would have more focus on, and in this respect was disappointing. In the bodybuilding episode, Ken Waller's cackle is the only real comment he gets to make, and Ken is far better served in the Dream Big documentary. Your most recent interview with Brian Moss was a fun journey into 80s bodybuilding culture. In reference to NABA, it is still around, though it focuses its efforts primarily in the U.K., I'm not sure if you've covered this, but Generation Iron 4 on Tubi covers the natural bodybuilding scene, and I think that would be of value to review and discuss in a future episode, if for no other reason that it is well-done documentary and it compares the challenges of drug-free bodybuilding versus the current professional bodybuilding scene, which is very much about PED use. The other one potential value to discuss on Tubi is Bigorexia, also produced by Generation Iron, on the issues in bodybuilding of the obsession of size that leads to unhealthy lifestyles. Keep up the great work. The articles read are of great value to understand the way it was. All right. Thank you, Sean. That was a great email. Yeah, I agree with you about the Arnold series. They didn't talk about Predator, which is like my favorite Arnold movie. So yeah, they did skip over a lot of them. Maybe they didn't have time, but I thought they would talk about Predator. Yeah, I agree with you. They did not have enough time to talk with other people in Arnold's life, especially like from the bodybuilding world. Like you said, Ken Waller was hardly in it. Lawyer Cope told me they interviewed him for four hours. And I don't even think he was in a minute of the documentary. Same thing with Charles Gaines, a very, very significant part of Arnold's life. I mean, his Pumping Iron book and movie totally changed Arnold's life. It, It introduced Arnold to the world. Without that, we might not even be talking about Arnold anymore. So I, I really feel like they should have talked to these guys a lot more. Frank Zane as well. They should have had Jerry Branham on the show. He would have been great, a great addition to it. The other documentaries you mentioned, yes, I did see that one about natural bodybuilding. That was actually from the organization I competed in, the IMDA. And I did not see that other one, Big Orexia. I'll have to check that one out. You said they're on Tubi. They're also, I think, on Amazon Prime. If you guys get Amazon Prime, you could check that out. 
We've got some other nice comments here too. I talked about the anniversary on my Facebook page and I got some nice comments. So let me read those real quick. All right. Pete Pingle said, congratulations on six years, John. Steven Spryer said, great stuff. Eric Burke said, I love the podcast and I'm hoping Rick Wayne comes back for another interview. And I'm also hoping Tom Platts finally comes in. Bradford said, congrats, John. Your show is one of my favorites. Mark said, congratulations on six years, your sharing of knowledge and passion. This is a must listen every episode. Brad Allen says, I think I've heard every single one from day one. It's a weekly treasure that often helps me through some miserable work commutes. Thank you for taking the leap six years ago. Bill Losevsky said, the podcast, each and every one have been nothing short of amazing. All great ones you found. Having Rick Wayne twice was a treat. Like more cowbell, more Rick Wayne. Todd Payette said, I love your show, John Hansen. Congratulations. Marty Vranikar, the great bodybuilder from the 1980s, said, great content, John. Continue. Kirk James said, congratulations and happy anniversary, John Hansen. Richard Perillo said, outstanding work through the years, John. Crystal Cup Simmons says, Rob and I love your podcast, John. Thank you for keeping the legends alive. Your knowledge of the sport is astonishing. Outstanding content. Eddie LaCour said, best podcast around, John Hansen. John Inamorado says, I enjoy your podcast immensely. Keep up the good work. Pierre Gunnar Olson said, congratulations. Ryan Lippitt said, that's awesome. Congratulations. Gary Bartlett, who we've had as a guest on the show, the great photographer from Canada, said, fantastic job, John. Amazing to have all this historical data gathered and archived on our history, thanks to your hard work and dedication. Fortunately, you got a lot of our legends on tape before their untimely passing. Listening to these interviews brings me back to a special time in my life with cherished memories. Rocco said, fantastic. My mom said, great job, John, congrats. Natalia Abraham Coelho said, congratulations. And Catherine Sedell said, congratulations. So thank you guys for all your congratulations. I appreciate it. And I'm glad there's so many loyal listeners to the show. All right, I think that's all I got, guys. So that is it for our opening. Here is part two of our interview with Brian Moss, where we continue talking about women's bodybuilding, better bodies, and his contribution to the sport of women's bodybuilding. Here we go. How did you get into photography, Brian? I got into it sort of, well, by accident. I'm, I'm definitely an accidental photographer. I had I was into Harley's Deep in like the 90s and mm-hmm. early aughts, more like the 90s. And I built this really amazing pro street bike, really, really cool bike. And I guess to validate my build, I wanted to get into a biker magazine. Okay. <laughs> and I thought, I knew about the muscle world they had no budgets and I'm assuming biker magazines had smaller budgets. <laughs> so I thought I knew the bike was kind of worthy of it. It was just really special. And I thought, I'm just going to take photographs of the bike. I'll, I'm going to deliver them the shoot like via mail. Here are the slides. And I knew that I needed uh, like a biker chick. That's what they called them back then. <laughs> and uh, I remember I took an ad in a local paper, The Village Voice, literally looking for like, I forgot what my language was, but I kind of <laughs> like a girl that kind of like could hang out on a Harley. And I actually found a, a young woman that did that. Yeah. Uh, so I set up this shoot and I shot my bike. I shot her on the bike and I just kind of enjoyed it, like the process and then that's what started me, literally. And then from there, I started taking photos of others. I started taking photos of my biker friends. Um, just think, I basically 
I've always used the camera like a mirror. I just hold it up to like the things that I love. And so it was like my pit bull, you know, the women in my life, mm-hmm. uh, old trucks, old tractors, uh, and bodybuilding. Yeah. And then a little later on, I, sh- and, and, and strippers, a stripper here and there. Um, <laughs> and I showed that work to, uh, people that I knew in the sport, like Sharon Bruno, mm-hmm. Erica Kern. And my style was, it was black and white. Um, it was dirty. You know, it wasn't like yeah. fancy, shiny, happy people. Right. It just had, had like a mood to it. Um, sexy, but just sort of had a mood to it. Yeah. When I showed uh, Sharon and Erica and other women that my work, they were like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Would you shoot me? Mm-hmm. And so that's how I that's how I shot like the first sort of like personalities in our world. Yeah. And, then I showed that work to Jim Chatta, who was the creative director of Muscle and Fitness. Okay. Who I knew from the Gladys days. I knew everybody at Weeder, of course. Yeah. And I, I said, hey, Jim, like, you know, what do you think of these pictures? And he's like, oh, man, these are, these are really cool. Like, okay, well, you know, what if you did this at the Arnold's Classic? Like, I was shooting. There's literally usually no place to shoot. So I would just go in and rent, like, a hotel room. Or in those days, more like a cheesy kind of like motel room but in a cool retro vibe like this was out in the country or with sharon we it was um i think in santa monica we found like kind of like the trashier better you know Mm -hmm. wood paneling on the walls it just had a lot of it had it wasn't like the holiday and that's not what i was looking for and he said well what if you know we fly out to arnold's and then you just choose the women and you shoot them in their hotel rooms i'm like yeah of course. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to pay me. Yeah. You're going to pay me $1,500. I was like, holy shit. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and so I said, yes, I'd never done a professional shoot in my life. Hmm. It was a point shoot camera and one light. And I went out there, no assistant, no nothing. But I had the power of Muslim fitness behind me. Right. So I reached out. I knew some of the girls. I'd be like, oh, I'm doing this shoot. Are you okay? Mina Lessig, uh, you know, uh, Christiana Cassoni, um, some great names. And so like a madman for two days, I ran around. I think I did like 13 women shooting. Mm-hmm. And then that became my first feature was called uh, Behind Closed Doors. Mm-hmm. Um, and from that, I was offered a contract. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's and awesome. I was under exclusive contract to shoot for Joe for six years. Wow. So, okay. Oh, yeah. was, this, was this after your uh, gym closed, after you sold the gym? No, you know, it, it well, it was the sign me up. Uh, let's see that it was, it straddled it. That shoot was published, I think, in 98. Okay. The, and it was black and white in Muscle and Fitness, which was that yeah. was kind of radical. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't see black and white. So that was 98. Um, and then I think I did, I guess it was four or five years. I, I have to look at my notes. But anyway, so yeah, it's right. It straddled it. If I sold 97, 98, yeah. So I sold, but I think I was still in the gym for some reason. Maybe it was a few months to get out or something like that. I don't remember precisely. But it sort of literally transitioned from that. Right. That. I mean, they didn't offer me the contract right away, but after they got the film or maybe, I don't remember the timing, but then I I was under contract. It was just Mm. crazy. That's awesome. Fucking crazy. Yeah, I remember your photos. They were, they were very unique. They were really cool. Yeah, people still remember them today, which is yeah. incredible. Yeah. For for anybody to remember an editorial feature in a <laughs> magazine 
you know, like over 20, 25 years later, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the, um, like the modeling agency you had going through better bodies. Cause I thought yeah. that was really cool. I think you did that in the, in the middle eighties, right? 84. 84. Yeah. 84. I, I saw one of the videos that you put on YouTube about that. And I remember when it had, when it was going on. So you basically yeah. were kind of managing like Gladys and a couple of the other bodybuilders from your gym and you were managing their careers, right? Well, two things going on there. There was, there was the agency, which really didn't deal with the management of careers. Um, okay. but as part of what was called Better Bodies Model Management, yeah. I had sort of a, technically a separate group where I was, because I was managing Gladys, I thought well, I can manage others. Yeah. And so that my idea was that I could handle a handful of bodybuilders and just sort of manage, not their training, but just no. sort of promotionally and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, the, that didn't really go. I think I did some more Claire Fur. I mean, a few people. I think Lee, Lee Labrada, uh, okay. I met with, but I never really did anything with anybody other than, you know, Gladys, I think, plus my gym was sort of a full time job. Okay. But the, the agency aspect of it was that, or the way that it came about is if a, before I opened it, what would happen if you were a company? And you wanted to have a muscle man or a muscle woman in your ad or mm-hmm. your commercial, you would probably tell your production assistant, go to the phone book and call gyms because the gyms would get those calls. Hey, we're from such and such production. Mm-hmm. We're looking for a guy. He's got to have big arms, whatever. And so that's how it happened. And, and people did obviously get jobs that way. But yeah. that gave me the idea, like I knew as a client, like if you're setting up a huge shoot, with all these people and all this money, how do you know that that person's going to show up? I mean, just kind of call the gym. You don't really know who the person is. I just felt like if you, if I formalized it in some way, it would be easier so that the production company, if they needed man, woman, large, small, whatever, they would just call better bodies model management. And that it actually worked. Um, got a lot of commercials. Uh, and of course, you can see all the covers that Gladys got. Yeah, um, it really worked, and it was pretty radical. Again, it doesn't seem radical today because, my God, everybody's fit. Yeah, and, yeah. But and the there time, are agencies yeah. that are doing that now. Yeah. But in '84, I, I got publicity just for the agency itself, mainstream. Yeah. Um, advertising Age, which was like the Bible in in that right, right. World, did a feature on it, like I thought, oh my God, wow. Advertising Age. So, yeah, I mean, it was cool. You know, it had its time. And then I think it basically Did it get to the point where you were like the go-to place, like the go-to person to call if they needed somebody, if if a company needed? Was it that one? Well, I think so. Well, for for New York, I remember L.A., nobody from L.A. is going to call for a New York bodybuilder. Yeah, yeah. Not going to happen. They were everywhere in in L.A. I don't know how they found them. They probably went to Muscle Beach and Golds. Yeah. But at least for New York. All the agencies. See, I wasn't SAG affiliated, so I couldn't technically send somebody out on a commercial, let's say. Oh, okay. What happened was the SAG affiliated agents would connect with me. We would split the commission, but they would give me what was called the breakdown. They got the call from the client. Then the agent calls me. I say, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got this guy. I get the breakdown on the go-see. That guy goes to the go-see and then... If he gets it, the agent gets it, and then we split the commission. Okay. For union purposes, I think they can only 
use agencies yeah. to book their talent. Yeah. So Gladys was getting a lot of work with outside magazines, not just bodybuilding. She was doing like Books. mainstream magazines. Oh yeah, right. Well, she was doing yeah, she was doing mainstream magazines. My God, she was in fashion magazines. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Again, it was the wonder of a woman with muscle. I mean, yeah. these famous fashion photographers were like smitten by her. Really, yeah. not that much different than Lisa Lyon and Robert Maplethorpe. Right, right. Maplethorpe said when he saw Lisa Lyon, I guess it was a photo of her in, I think, 79, that he felt it's like she was from another planet. <laughs> wow. that's, that's Maplethorpe saying that. Yeah, yeah. Maplethorpe's seen a lot of shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then, of course, he went on to do, you know, really important work with Lisa Lyon. So, yeah. Yeah. I just read an article but before I, we did the interview. I was, re- I was going through some of my old Flex magazines, and I read how Gladys went to Canada to do a thing for Ken Wheeler's gym. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And then she, yeah, well, then she went out there and started training and kind of like secluded herself to train for the Olympia. That's right. And yeah, Ken, I don't exactly remember how I met Ken, uh, but Ken was my mentor in the, in the gym business. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. He, oh, he was best friends with Vince Geronda. He helped Muhammad Makawi in Toronto. Yeah. Um, and I looked to him for, I'm just like this little gym owner. He was a chain owner, a uh, mm-hmm. chain of clubs called Super Fitness. Brilliant okay. guy, knew really everything about everything. And uh, he was my mentor. And then he, of course, fell in love with, you know, I think me and Gladys. And he saw Gladys's potential. And he just, there was a point where it's beyond me. Like, I'm not a guru or a trainer. I mean, mm-hmm. I get in shape, but. I don't know that I could get somebody ready for an Olympia stage. Yeah. And Ken had experience with that. So what we did is uh, we flew her up there and she stayed with him. I don't remember the time period, but a few weeks, all pre-contest. Yeah. And he just tracked and monitored everything, training, food, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. They said she lived like in seclusion, just in her hotel room watching TV. Couldn't go out and do anything, you know, had to eat a lot of food because her metabolism was so fast, but. They totally yep. changed her body, put a lot of muscle on her for that Olympia. Yeah, that's. I didn't remember that magazines covered that. That's cool to hear that. I don't remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah I think no, it was that, on the. I think it was a cover shot. And it said, "The men who made Gladys beautiful" or something, or something, something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's good to hear that. But yeah, he was a really important man for both of us. My God. Yeah. Could have gotten where she got without his help, uh, nor I. Like I said, yeah. when it was a gym yeah. thing or a membership thing i mean he just had a very great perspective yeah sales and membership and pricing and all those things that yeah uh, you know was flying by the seat of my pants from the beginning right what was the thing you did in 85 i think it was in conjunction with the night of the champions where you guys had that like it was like a nightclub thing with uh, carla dunlap i think mike christian was there gladys yeah I, I'm I've done a series of shows in the nightclubs. Um, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't aligned with any particular show other than I tried to do them around a show so that I have yeah. access to bodybuilders and shit. Yeah. yeah. Just the logistics of it. It was always for a cause or for, you know, there was a reason for it. Fundraising. Okay. And, um, that was uh, a couple of members. My, my gym just had the most creative, amazing members from the best DJs, graffiti artists, like stylists, just amazing. Yeah. And a couple that group of people had those nightclub connections. 
but they trained at better bodies. They knew me, they knew Gladys. Mm-hmm. And again, the wonder of muscle. Yeah. And they, they staged it. And to this day, when I watch those clips, I get chills. Yeah. I mean, I see Carla posing like that and Gladys. Yeah. It just gives me chills. Yeah. And yeah. It was, it's, it was spectacular. Yeah. And we always thought back then, like, you know, bodybuilding is kind of boring. <laughs> like, yeah. the show is boring. <laughs> right. And the idea here was to stage it like theater. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what they did. I literally had nothing to do with the creative on that other than bring the sort of components together. That was okay. Uh, okay. a woman named uh, Chichi Valente and Johnny Dinell, who I'm still oh, friends okay. with uh, yeah. on, on Facebook. And they're still like god and goddesses of the night. They're amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. That was, you know, that was all there. They were really, they still are incredibly hip downtown people. Oh, really? Cool. I yeah. wasn't. But uh, they were. And uh, that's how those things started. And we did them at Studio, Limelight, The Saint. Limelight, that was the name. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. The clubs in New York. Yeah. We all had a blast. And that got amazing coverage. I mean, it was like national coverage. I saw video clips of it on on national television. Yeah. Yeah. We got national coverage. And the bodybuilders were were so happy to be asked to do something outside of compulsory poses yeah see how amazing they were how beautiful it looked yeah i mean i also found that in my photography when i did like those crazy shoots like milo sarsev as elvis and you know <laughs> like Razo as a clown like they love that yeah <laughs> it was not a training shoot Right, right. It's something different. Yeah. Yeah, it was something different. And and those shows were very much like that, but live. Yeah. And Johnny would do the music. He was an amazing DJ. And <clears throat> it was amazing. What's your thoughts on um, women's bodybuilding today, Brian? Because you were around when it started and you saw how the women weren't really muscularly developed that much. Like they didn't, they weren't that big, but they were so appreciate it you know the contests were so big the audiences were so big i thought the women were so beautiful and the way they posed i thought was really amazing the way they presented their physiques yeah Um, i I just wonder what your thoughts were the way it was then to what it eventually morphed into well you know simple question really complicated answer (laughs) that i probably don't have the answer to Uh, you know it's I, i don't think it's fair number one to compare the two Mm-hmm. Because there is, you know, 45 year difference. Yeah. So who were who we were then is not who we are now, mm-hmm. not only as physiques, but as a culture. And again, that sense of wonder. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can only see something for the first time once. Yeah, that's true. Right. So that was the first time for the world. And it was magical. So we can't we can't have those expectations of women today because we've seen everything. We've literally seen everything because of the digital culture and the digital paradigm. We, we see everything probably that there is to see, and we probably see too much of it. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we're just inundated with everything. I I don't just mean bodybuilding, every aspect of our lives. We see everything. And I don't think that's a good thing for, from a creative standpoint, from just brain health there, how can there be a sense of wonder? It's really hard. Yeah. You know, it's really, you'd have to go out and find it. Yeah. And 
So I don't think we can have those ex expectations. And it just, I mean, if you go back to those early days, even back then, there were, I'm going to use the word fight, but not really a fight. There were different schools about what a female bodybuilder should look like. Yeah. And you have to ask yourself the question, who, who's posing the question? Who's answering the question? Mm. And who are you trying to appeal to? And I will say it was driven by men. The sport was driven by men. Yeah. That's not necessarily by itself a terrible thing, but there's no doubt that early on, really early on, pre-bodybuilding, it was bikini contests at bodybuilding shows. Yeah. You know, Miss Americana. Yes. Yeah. Thing. Uh, those remember. were, yeah. that was purely for the male gaze and yes, nobody could argue it wasn't. Mm -hmm. and, and ironically, that is what morphed as we know, into early bodybuilding, which mm -hmm. in my mind was the purest moment of the sport because it was fresh, it was new. Women were exploring this beautiful thing called strength, which they had not been allowed to explore before. Yeah. And so you, then you start seeing different body types, right? So you have a Laura Combs. Yeah. Arms. Yeah. But I'll remind you, Laura Combs was like 5'4". <laughs> right. How big are her arms? Right. Like, why was everybody clutching their pearls? Right. Back then they were. Yeah. Yeah. Because they had also seen Lisa Lyon. Get it? Beautiful. Great symmetry. Laura Combs, great arms. Maybe not great symmetry, but so what? She loved training, right? Mm -hmm. And she built muscle. And so that's where it was starting. Like, okay, you have those people that want that. And I think those people that wanted that were the women. It's like women should have been able to figure out what they want for themselves. Yeah. And they, they took a lot of shit back then. And that was wrong. Like whether or not you as a promoter or a owner of an association decide that that's not what you want, you, you can't trash what a woman wants. If Laura wanted the biggest arms on the planet, she should have been able to grow them and train for them, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so what if she didn't win a show? So what? Right. Right. I think most people that love bodybuilding just love training. And it, even if they don't win a show, they love the process. Yeah. And they don't win the show. And I, I just think it's critical to note that you have to look, sort of consider the source. Like everybody has their own self-interest in mind. And I'm sure it's the same today. These mm -hmm. things don't change. Yeah. So, so back then you had the women, you had the publishers, and you had the promoters, right? The publishers and the promoters are profit-driven. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's what they right. do. It's business. Right. So they're making their decisions based upon what they think the public wants. Now, what they think, uh, were they right? I don't know. But th that's what they're making their calculations on. Yeah. Well, you know, if the women get too big, then maybe the women don't want to come see the women at the show. Or uh, if I'm a gym owner, maybe, you know, the women won't come in because they think they're going to get big. Well, you know what? That stupid myth still exists today. Women think, oh, but I don't want to get too big. Yeah. So where did that get you? It'll be with us forever, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not to digress, but the myths that I see 
and the trolls and the comments that I see on strong women's social media, that's the same bullshit that I heard 40 fucking years ago. <laughs> it blows my mind. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't till recently, like in the old days, I would have defended it and tried to explain it and educate. And it took probably turning 65 to be like, fuck that. I don't know anybody in explanation. I don't need to explain to anybody why women should be allowed to train and neither do women. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I see the women get caught up in that and, and they're, they're explaining or they're defending. Yeah. You don't have to defend shit. Right. Right. People will say whatever the fuck they want to say, especially now. Yeah. People yeah. Warriors. It's an opinion, right. So yeah, things have changed. There's no doubt about it, but you know, you have, you have bikini, you have all these divisions and, you know, you, it's hard to get into a conversation and somebody will say, wow, well, you know, look at Rachel. She wouldn't even win a bikini contest. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I knew when bikini first started, they didn't look like bikini today. Right. Neither did bodybuilders. Right. Neither did bigger girls. Neither right. did fitness girls. I knew from the beginning that as much as you're going to try to like, focus this very particular thing you have in your mind and keep it there you won't be able to it's not human nature yeah it just isn't and if women or men physique whatever if you're training how do you only train so hard maybe not to look a certain way right just in our dna yeah so bikini girls are getting larger and more muscular they're looking more like pro girls from the 80s yeah, it's like yeah. this weird natural progression. It just keeps moving yeah. forward. Yeah, never backwards. Never backwards. Yeah, that's like saying, you know, oh, you know, I, I love NASCAR from the fifties. You know, those cars were <laughs> the only so, ones so fast. <laughs> yeah, why don't why don't we just you know find Still the cars that go fifty miles? I don't know how fast they went, but they're yeah. not doing the speeds that they are today. So. Right. I think yeah, that was nothing. that was the argument in the movie Pumping Iron Two, where uh, Charles Gaines was saying, "Well, who are we to say that a woman shouldn't get more muscular?" Because Beth Francis was in the contest, and that was the big right. central That's theme right. of the whole movie. You know, was, that was the protagonist antagonist. Yeah, yeah, she's so big, and why are we stop? That's like like Charles, I think, said in the movie, he's like, "That's telling like a woman sprinter, you can only go so fast, and you have to stop." So, like, I get you know, bodybuilding's always been subjective, so I guess it's just up to the the judges or the criteria of what they think is too big or how far it should go. But I mean, you're right. I mean, if you look at it, like it's always going to progress, then progression in bodybuilding would mean they're just going to keep getting more developed and bigger. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess somewhere there's a limit to what the body can do or, or what, you know, drugs can do, or I don't know, there's probably a limit, but you know, I, again, because I, I've been cranky about this whole thing (laughs) and I, I, my new mantra is, you know, you know the saying like you know live and let live. Yeah, my saying is like lift and let lift. Like, right, right. Let people do whatever the fuck they want to do and shut yeah. up. Like, it's okay, yeah. man. Yeah, it's really okay. Like, just. Yeah, okay. I guess the question is not as far as an individual wants to get developed, but how they're going to judge that. You know, what criteria they're going to use because it's always subjective. Criteria. Yeah, it's always subjective and. That just is what it is. That's why I always felt that, you know, 
Ben Weeder's, you know, dying wish to get in the Olympia. I just never felt it could happen right. because it isn't, it isn't a powerlifting. It's not Olympic lifting. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's an aesthetic. Yeah. And it's the aesthetic that you think maybe will make you the most money by selling more magazines. Again, like I said, you have yeah. to consider the source and what the self-interest is. But I don't think that, you know, if your self-interest is making money, which is cool as a promoter or whatever, and this is maybe speaking back in time, like I feel like those early women, it was just a, they just weren't treated well. A lot mm-hmm. of injustice back then. Yeah. In terms of what was said by a lot of people, like a lot of people. Hmm. And how, you know, how did you feel personally, like when you saw women like Rachel and Gladys and Carla Dunlap and, you know, when they were up there and they were posing and, and they weren't overly developed in the way they presented their physiques? Did you think that was the ideal of women's bodybuilding or were you open to it expanding from there? No, I, I thought it, it couldn't get better than that. They just yeah. got incredible and athletic. And right. you know, I like proportions, like aesthetics are super important to my yeah. eye. Yeah. And I love the aesthetics of a great body. And so that's why you see, you know, Rachel had great proportions. Um, Diana Dennis had amazing, yeah. Yeah. amazing shape. Great poser. And she, you know, there's an example, and I think it was the 80... 81 Olympia somewhere it's on tape. She it was, she was having a discussion with Oscar state and she had sparkles on her bikini. And he decided that he was going to mark her down for some sparkles. And I I don't think I might be wrong. I don't think she ever competed after that. Mm. She lost this great athlete to just bullshit. And, and the irony today that, you need sunglasses to look at what women wear today. Like there's a lot of bedazzling yeah, going on, right, you know? Right, right. And I don't even know what these things were. How big could the sparkles be? Yeah. And but her proportions, when you look at her beautiful shape, it's just incredible shape. I don't even yeah. mean she was in great condition, but to me, proportions are, is a separate thing from conditioning. Yeah. Uh, she was great conditioning and great proportions. Rachel had that as well. I think Gladys had that as well. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've always been a fan of that, just from a purely aesthetic standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could have the same argument with men's bodybuilding because, like, Lee Labrada yeah. and Bob Paris would say that they would say, you know, it's it's not just how much mass you can build on your physique; it's how it all looks together. And if there's right. a certain point where if you put too much mass on, which is possible now with all the drugs they have involved. You can put on tremendous amounts of muscle, more than you could have, you know, 40 years ago. But then it starts to destroy the proportion, not the proportions, but the overall symmetry and the flow of the physique. It's too over heavily muscled. And and I think a lot of the guys who are fans of old school bodybuilding, and they say the beauty is gone in bodybuilding now. These guys are bigger than ever before. They're conditioned, but the beauty is gone. And I think maybe that's because these guys have developed so much muscle, even if they're in great condition, even if they got... Even if, a lot of them now even have smaller waist, but they just have so much muscle that the beauty is gone from the physique compared to how it used to be, you know? Right. But you have to be careful with the word beauty. Yeah. You know, like there's absolutely somebody out there today that looks at, you know, let's call them mass monsters or whatever, might think they're the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. Yeah. It is also. Yeah. Yeah. So you just got to be careful with those words. I mean, you know, the way for me, 
if, if there's a, an opinion to be had and I'm going to make my opinion known, which I don't, but I always start it with I. Because once I start it with I, you can't come back to me with anything because mm-hmm. it's just me. This is what I think and feel. Yeah, yeah. That's how I sort of handle that. Like just I, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying you should think it. Right. Well, I think that's why they developed this classic physique. Now where the guys are limited on how big they can get by their by their weight compared to their height. And then the, yeah, just, the I, other division alone, let them get as big as possible, you know. Yeah, I, I just read about that. Yeah, right. You have to have like, yeah, I don't know, like in motorsports, like unlimited. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. Just what it is. <laughs> right. Right, right. And, yeah. Are, are you comfortable talking about what happened with Gladys and you guys breaking up? Or is that something you don't yeah. want to Okay. Well, look, if, if Rick Wayne could put it on the cover of Flex magazine. <laughs> That's right. It was on the cover of Flex, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's really not much story there. Um, the, the the only thing that I know and can say about it is that she she met John Claude at the it was the very first bikini issue for Muscle and Fitness. Yeah, like a photo shoot or a photo shoot. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Bikini. And and the the irony was that normally I go to, used to go to all the shoots with her, but this was a yeah. big thing in Mexico, and they went down there, and Jean Claude was on the shoot, and he met her, and they fell in love, like mm-hmm. literally, and ironically, also there we never really kind of broke up, like they flew back to New York, I think she basically packed up and left. Wow, how long were you guys together when that happened? Oh, I'd have to check the cover of that issue. Um, well, we met in 86. I think it was 86. Oh, yeah, I was going to say 86. So 82 yeah. to 86. I mean, obviously, we weren't boyfriend-girlfriend in 82, or, well, in the beginning. That's what you met her, yeah. yeah. I would say maybe a few months into Better Bodies, we kind of knew, like, holy shit, we like each yeah. other. Yeah. Um, and look, it's worked out great for her. Amazing family, beautiful children. Yeah. No complaints. There's no ill will, no nothing. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah. I mean, people thought, well, if you you saw that cover and then Mm -hmm. I don't know how much how much later, like I didn't want people thinking like I was crying in my beer. Like, yeah, yeah. It was a little weird, a little weird, but (laughs) whatever. Right. 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 And then I don't know if it was I guess it was probably Flex or maybe it was Muscle Mag. I sent them a photo. It was like my strike back somewhere. I have it. Maybe it's on my website. Um, there used to be this book called um, How to Meet Women, or I can't even think of the name. It was it was really funny, like, how to meet women. And so I got a copy of it, and I had somebody take a Polaroid of me, like, looking at it. <laughs> and, and it got published, of course. I yeah. think it might have been like Rick Wayne publishing it. Yeah. Rick or Bob Kennedy, somewhere I have it. Oh, yeah. How to Meet Women Without Even Trying. It was like, I don't know, yeah. some funny, funny, silly book. Yeah. I was like, hey, I'm, you know, we're both going to be okay. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, Flex Magazine at the time, I think, was kind of getting into the gossip stuff. And, you know, so I remember they made, they put that on the cover. I'm like, whoa, this is a big story. You know? Yeah, well, they had that that section. That was, yeah. you know, Rick Wayne's yeah. thing. And, yeah. But you know what? It was fun, and people love that stuff. They oh, love they love that. It was the stuff. most popular section of the magazine, probably. That's right. And Rick knew that, and, you know, yeah. he, he was good at it. And uh, I'm thankful for all that stuff. Like, yeah. you know, he, uh, he was a great interview. He was a tough interview. Uh, he yeah. was great. Great writer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Did you yeah. think Gladys uh, cut her career short by, you know, choosing not to compete anymore? I mean, do you think she had more potential as, as far oh. as likely? Oh, I think there's no doubt. But, of yeah. course, you know, her priorities changed instantly. I mean, she yeah. became yeah. wife and mother. Yeah. Um, so she was, you know, onto other things. But, yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. I mean, if you think about the impact that she had in such a short period of time. Yeah. And the fact that today people still sort of idolize right. her. She was like really around for a few years, so it's amazing. They're still talking yeah. about 40 years later, right? Yeah, but, you know, that's the staying power of what she represented, that archetype. Yeah. And same with you with Rachel. Yeah. That archetype, very, very powerful yeah. and uh, still exists and still people, you know, I see people, you know, I follow some of these sort of like golden age profiles, you know, on Instagram, yeah. and, mm-hmm. you know, like, I don't know, twice a week, Gladys, Gladys, Gladys. Yeah, Seal. yeah, yeah. Man. She's still out there doing it. I mean, not doing it, but doing it. Yeah. Impacting people. Yeah. And today's Rachel's birthday. I put that on my Facebook page. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A yeah, hundred comments. You know, it's like she's still super popular, you know. So powerful, man. Yeah. So, so powerful. And I will say, not just to like older people like us, yeah. but young people. Yeah. The yeah. population of young people. Yeah. They're like, one of the one of the sites is ran by like a young woman, like a twenty something year old. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which gives me hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I get uh, emails too, but people listen to this podcast and follow it on YouTube, and they they're like younger too, and they just say, "I yeah. love that generation. I wish I was born earlier." You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're out there, so hopefully they'll sort of find their way into the sport and maybe guide it in some way. But yeah, yeah, that's what I'm hoping too. Yeah. I like when I see that. It makes me feel good. It's not just a bunch of guys of a certain age. They're like, ah, well, we did it, we did it this way. We did it that way. It's like right. nobody, nobody wants to hear that except us. <laughs> like, right, right. Now if we could just like, get, them to get rid of the tripods and the phones in the gym, we go back to the old days for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, again, I think the, that ship has sailed. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> so what do, you got, what do you got planned for your uh, future, Brian, for your near future? Uh, I'm right now. I'm um, I'm still shooting for Animal Pack. Okay, on my 22nd year. Wow, and yeah, it's crazy. Just fucking crazy. 22 years with one company. Wow, that's can't imagine. Crazy. There's a photographer out there that has a client that has had yeah. a hundred contract for 22 years. <laughs> but we will see where the future goes. You know, I don't know. I feel like my work has less and less. Not importance, but because of social media being insatiable, mm-hmm. the need for what I call disposable imagery. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like there's maybe less room for the work that I do. Like I never consider my work to be disposable. Uh, even, even when I switch to digital, it isn't because it's digital, it's disposable. Yeah. It's just the thought process, what goes into it and so on and what I choose to shoot, where I want to shoot, things yeah. like that. And I, I just, I, I don't know how much longer there is. I mean, obviously, I'm happy to still be here. So, you know, look, if the phone rings or I get an email from somebody or something or a company, I'm always going to listen, always open to ideas and fresh. But I think I'm at the point in my life where I just really, if I do something, it just needs to be creative. Yeah. Like, I just, yeah. I just can't shoot to shoot. I don't think I would be willing to shoot just for the money. Maybe I would. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, I get energized by creativity. Yeah. But 
usually creativity, there's a cost, you know, there's production costs. It's, you know, the, those shoots that you mentioned, those muscle and fitness shoots that you still remember, those yeah. were thousands of dollars of production, thousands. Hmm. Like I had special effects artists. I had just, just a crew. I was able to fly, you know, five or six bodybuilders into the middle of the desert to shoot, you know, the Elvis thing. Wow. I mean, the Elvis shoot that I had custom made for Milos was seven hundred dollars. Wow! So to Joe's to Joe's credit, I had a budget. Yeah, and they never challenged me on the budget. I wasn't wasting money, but I was like, "Hey, yeah, you know, Milos says Elvis, that'd be pretty fucking cool." But he needs a fucking <laughs> Elvis costume. Right. You can't you can't rent that. Yeah, yeah. Had I still have it? Really? Wow. So th- thousands of dollars. 10, 12, 15, I don't know. Yeah. And I was being paid well for editorial. Who's doing that today? No, nobody. I'd, I'd like them to email me. Yeah. <laughs> you just, there's just a point where you just need some money for production. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't have done any of those shoots without the pro- high production. Yeah. The type of shoots that I did backstage, that's no production. That's, that's, you know, personal yeah. camera. That's it. Yeah. Um, so that, that's easy. But those shoots, uh, like I say, people still know them. And I love doing those things. I also love shooting backstage, you know, like low tech. I mean, without any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'd like to think I'm still open to all those things. But I just think the whole climate has changed. I don't know that anybody would spend that much money on production, at yeah. least in our world. I mean, in the real world, you know, Nike, whoever, those people still, of course, pay tons of money in production but i th- our world has shrunk from mm-hmm. a production standpoint because the magazines are dead and yeah. the magazines are the ones that propped up everything yeah they were being propped up by the supplement companies yeah yeah and all that's kind of gone yeah yeah gone. i mean all my animal pack ads those were double paid spreads in muscle and fitness yeah for years yeah yeah Years, I think that was like forty thousand dollars, if I remember correctly. Wow, okay, there's a lot of money yeah. back then for ad space. Yeah, I think those days. Still used to charge a fortune too. I think for for ad advertising in his magazine. Yeah. yeah, it's a ton of money, but that's what you did. Yeah. So yeah, so I don't know how I fit into the new paradigm exactly. Yeah, um, and ironically, or maybe not ironically, I'm now sort of focusing on doing a video about my photography it's kind of weird okay it's my photography yeah but i feel like yeah the photographs they live and they're out there and they're all over but number one a lot of times well usually there's no credits nobody knows who has taken my photos yeah john bailey Um, complains about that a lot yeah well i mean none of us those guys never got it um you would get muscle fitness of course i got what it was if it was feature you i got what they call feature credit on on stage uh, but when I did other editorial work, you would get gutter credit, you know, on the gutter. And it's like, mm. uh, who, who spreads open the book like that? And, you know, looks <laughs> a microscope. Right. You don't really, really get that. So I decided, like, I think I need to do a video about my photography because a video is um, it's highly consumable, as you know, yeah. doing this. And whether it's on your phone or, you know, your tablet, people yeah. love videos. So my first project is to do the history of the making of the journey, which mm. is the campaign that, of course, launched Frank McGrath. 
Yeah. And it was a, a series of 18 photographs, which became ads and posters. It was still people comment about today. They mm-hmm. still DM me about those. They want posters. Um, they just, they, they resonate with people today. And like we said before, so young people as well. And so I thought, you know, I never really sat with Frank and asked him, like, what was it like? What do you remember? Yeah. Cause it was, it was five shoots in the year 2004. And so it's, that's going to be the video. It's about that campaign because it had so much power and so much impact for Frank too. Yeah. It changed Frank's life. Yeah. And he went in, in the early days of that. There was no name. Nobody knew who that man was by yeah. design because the whole idea of the campaign for me was to create. Um, the journey comes from the journey of a bodybuilder. That's where that idea came from. And when I did my very first meeting with uh, Universal, when they wanted to hire me to shoot their ads, um, I had this idea. Uh, I, they wanted to, their their sort of input was hardcore. We want hardcore. I was like, cool. Uh, I live hardcore. Yeah. But my idea was to shoot and show the process of bodybuilding because a lot of people. Maybe now they know more because of social media. But back then, you didn't really know how long and protracted the process is for a bodybuilder. Hmm. Depending on the bodybuilder, 16 weeks out and dieting and training and yeah. dieting and hydrating and arguing with your partner. And mm-hmm. it was this terrible process. And I thought it would be really cool to capture it and then serialize it month to month. So chronologically, it starts here, 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 and then it ends at the contest to literally follow the path of okay. the bodybuilder. Hmm. And uh, they actually rejected that concept when I met with them um, in 2001. But then hmm. I went on to shoot within a couple of months of that meeting. And that my very first shoot was the shut up and train shoot, which a lot of people know that shoot because the guy with the watch cap. Yes, yeah. and train. That's yeah. pretty iconic. That was 2001. That was not the journey. Uh, I didn't. Even, nobody knew Frank. I think was probably bouncing at a bar in, you know, uh, in Canada in mm-hmm. 2001. Uh, and then finally, I don't know what happened, but they they agreed to it. They said, "Yeah, we're gonna. We like that idea." And then it was a matter of finding the guy who would be Frank McGrath. Hmm. And so uh, I'm going to tell that story with video, of course, um, whatever video there is, basically the training videos that were shot alongside okay. the photo shoots and, uh, you know, hundreds of my photographs sort of telling the story. Wow. That sounds yeah. cool. It's going to be cool. It's been really cool for me because I'm literally looking and revisiting things I haven't looked at in 20 years. That's archival shit for me. I don't yeah. Yeah. Go relive those days and pat myself on the back. It's like, oh, that was great. Right. But Yeah. But it's been fun and to have Frank involved and actually talk to him about it. Like yeah. we did his recently, just kind of like a almost a production like meeting, like, okay, what are we gonna do? Gotta get you interviewed. And so he was telling me, like, oh yeah, I remember like the first time I met you, I thought, what the fuck is this? I'm like, really? <laughs> like all these great things that he was saying. Yeah. I'm like, okay, hold that, hold that for the interview, please. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've never heard these things. Yeah. So it's gonna be you know, if I've never heard it, then you've never heard it. And I think people right, will dig right. it hearing it. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm pretty stoked about it. And I think if people enjoy it, then I'm going to open it up 
for the first 10 years from 2001 to 2011. Okay. So I can pull in Evan Santapani, Eric Fankhauser, Dave yeah. Palumbo, Andy Giordanello, which was the guy in that first ad. Cause I've never spoke as there have been my friends for all this time. And I've never said, Evan, mm. like, what was it like shooting with me? What, what was that shoot like? What did you think? Yeah. And so that's the idea. If, if people dig it, then I'm going to open it up. I'll fold the journey back in, but open it up from 2001 to 2011, which I kind of feel was, was peak animal. Yeah. Like I did this shoot with Evan in 2011, which was just mind blowing. And I think, you know, after that, things changed a little bit. It didn't feel as peak to me, or at least yeah. photographically. When I look at my work, I'm like, man, that 10 year span was badass. Wow. That's awesome. And so, so that would be the plan if people like it. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah, I just have to learn how to fucking edit. <laughs> oh God, I'm a photographer, man. I'm not a videographer, but yeah. I'm gonna try. <laughs> yeah, I have to go to a whole new world. Yeah, so that that's sort of literally like my immediate project. Okay, good. Well, I hope you do that because I I would love to see that. I'm sure a lot of people. Yeah, would. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think both old and young. Yeah interesting to hear and to hear frank speak about it yeah yeah for sure cool. yeah so all right brian well thank you very much for joining me on the show it was a pleasure talking to you uh you really made an impact on the sport with uh, all that you did with your better bodies and the marketing of the athletes and the beginning of women's bodybuilding and and now your photography so it was really a pleasure speaking with you i'm glad i got to meet you after all these years yeah thank you i really appreciate it and you know, I can, it's hard to shut me up about all the school, you know? Oh, that was great. <laughs> it was a great discussion. Yeah. So cool. Thank you. All right. All right. We'll take, we'll stay in touch and uh, all the best to you, Brian. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you. Bye all now. right. Take care. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the bodybuilding legends podcast. Thank you to all our Patreon donors who make such great contributions to our show each month. I could not keep the show going without you guys. If anyone out there would like to become a Patreon donor yourself, you can just check out the link below in the description or just go to the bodybuildinglegendshow.com website, which is our official website, and you'll see the link in the upper right-hand corner. Our Patreon donors do get a little something extra from me each week. I send out a weekly newsletter, which has some throwback to some of the old-time magazines and some great pictures and what's happening during in bodybuilding during this week and what's happening on the show. So they get that every week. And also, depending on their sponsorship level, they'll also get another audio article, like the one I'm going to read right now. They get an extra one each week. And they also will get a video article where I actually make a little movie of it and put pictures in it as well. So that is what you get as a Patreon donor. So I appreciate you guys helping to support the show for so long. If you guys have any emails you want to send me, just send them to naturalolympia at gmail.com and I'll read your questions or comments on the air. All right. So before I let you guys go, I want to read two articles. One is from the September 1985 issue of Flex Magazine. It has Rachel McLish on the cover doing abs, and it's called Her Range is Limitless, Brian Moss. So this is an interview with Brian Moss from Rick Wayne. It says, say Gladys Portuguese, and for most bodybuilders, the name that immediately springs to mind is Brian Moss, described by some as Gladys Svengali. The fact is that Moss discovered Gladys when she was just an unknown part-time model working out at a health spa in New York's east side. Brian and a partner were in the process of opening their gym, Better Bodies, and Gladys was exactly the shape they needed to help launch her project. 
Before long, she was appearing in all Better Bodies ads, a beautiful woman flexing her muscles, as if indeed that were the most natural thing to do and not a most radical posture for the time. Better Bodies has branched out. A successful bodybuilding emporium has given birth to a modeling agency that's fast becoming the talk of New York. Among Moss's clients are Carla Dunlap, Lydia Chang, Tom Terwilliger, Mario Celine, and of course, Gladys. We talked with Moss recently in the hope of discovering what it's like to manage one of bodybuilding's hottest properties. How much modeling had Gladys already done when you first met? Brian, not much really. She was also working as a cosmetician at the time. She sold makeup and put time in at a health spa in New York. That was just three years ago. She's come a long way. How long? Well, she's modeled for some of the leading magazines, including Vogue, Miss American Photographer, and Sports Style. Designer Norma Kamali has also used her. But Gladys is not your regular female bodybuilder, is she? It's interesting that she's very much a serious bodybuilder with Miss Olympia potential, yet she gets offers that are not usually made to bodybuilders. Somehow she seems to be able to fit into anything. She combines strength and beauty, which is really what Better Bodies is all about. One of the problems that female bodybuilders must deal with centers on the fact that too many people see muscular women as freaks. How has Gladys beaten that? Well, the point is that you've got to realize that the bodybuilding market at this time is limited. You can't expect to make a fortune from just posing exhibitions. From the start, Gladys took herself seriously. She was set on a modeling career, so she learned her craft. Having a fantastic body and face helped. Gladys doesn't think only of bodybuilding. She takes care to dress well. She's well-spoken. She's got that dynamite smile, and she's easy to get along with. There's nothing bizarre about Gladys, and she's extremely professional in her dealings with business people. How difficult is it to combine the kind of physique that wins Miss Olympia titles with the type sought after by swimsuit and dress designers? Well, where Gladys is concerned, it's not at all difficult. What the people that you've mentioned are interested in is shape. They're impressed with firmness, not striations and veins, which are for another market. In the off-season, Gladys fits the bill, and she's in great demand by fashion photographers and non-bodybuilding business houses. She recently posed for a book about, this will break you up, high-performance hair, a top hairstylist who works with celebrity athletes is involved in the project. They did the shoot with Gladys in a bikini, in an evening gown, and in casual clothes. All concerned said that Gladys was the best model they ever worked with. Are there any problems peculiar to the management of bodybuilders? None when the bodybuilder is Gladys. You have to remember that her publicity in magazines such as Flex and Shape has gone a long way in establishing what Gladys is all about. People are already sold on her by the time they call me. If I have a problem at all, it centers on the fact that Gladys is booked up most weekends and I find myself turning down many opportunities. What makes Gladys so special? Well, there's the beauty of her face. I mean, it hits you between the eyes. And then there's this simply heavenly body, both God-given. Gladys is a natural. Bodybuilding has simply enhanced her beauty. What ethnic ingredients make up Gladys? She's got a little bit of Portuguese. Her parents are Puerto Rican. How did you arrive at the decision to place her in Ken Wheeler's care? We'd met Ken at the Caesars World Cup, and he thought it might be a great idea to team up Gladys and Mohamed Makawe, whom he manages from mixed pairs events. Of course, Gladys and I were thrilled by the prospect. Later, Gladys did some work with Ken in Canada for his super fitness gyms, you know, promotions and so on. While in Toronto, Gladys trained with Ken and Mohamed, and it just seemed like a good idea for her to prepare with them for the Miss Olympia. The association certainly paid off. At the premiere of Pumping Iron 2, it seemed Gladys was not participating in publicity activities. Why not? She's probably in the movie for all of three minutes. 
Well, so was Lydia Chang, but she was there at the Visage doing her bit for George Butler. True, but Gladys has other things going for her, and there's no need to do what others do just to get her picture in the papers. Did Butler offer Gladys a contract? Yes, we turned it down because we didn't want any strings attached to Gladys. She's already got one manager. I'm sure Butler meant well, but we have different ideas about how Gladys should be promoted. I think he circumvents the bodybuilding circuit, and I don't see that as being necessarily a good thing. Gladys placed seventh at the recent Pearl World Championships. Why didn't she do better? She really didn't have enough time to prepare. She was probably about 80% of what she might otherwise have been. We were happy to get her placing in Toronto. Is that good management to let your lady go into battle unprepared? <laughs> well, sometimes you have to look at the bigger picture. The time she competed mainly to benefit the sport and the IFBB. Besides, she'll be on TV and certainly her placing won't hurt her as far as TV audiences and showbiz agents are concerned. When you think about it, Gladys can't lose. Whatever she appears, regardless of her contest placing, people still fall in love with her. But many people say she's ruined herself with steroids. All because she made such gains for the Miss Olympia. In a way, they're complimenting Ken and Gladys. She trained without drugs and she trained extremely hard. Her efforts paid off. It's sad, really. People no longer praise you for the sweat you put into your training. They're so ready to give the credit to drugs. Are you disturbed by the fact that the trend seems to favor bigger, more muscular women? Well, it's not necessarily true that there's been a change in favor of huge women. The people who are winning are still symmetrical and feminine. There's room for Corey Everson, Gladys, and Rachel. And that's as it should be. I haven't seen any freaks on the women's rostrum. Where does Gladys go from here? Well, there's the Miss Olympia, and then there's the very real prospect of a movie. We're looking at all kinds of offers right now, and we're prepared to wait until the right part comes along. People tend to forget better bodies than Gladys have been around for just about three years. We got lots of time to get where I want to. And then there's another article here with Lou Paris, and it's about the Brian Moss method for promoting muscle. One, assess your physique honestly and then decide if you think you can make it, and if so, how far. Be optimistic when assessing your potential, but more important, be realistic. Two, decide on the vehicles you're going to use to promote yourself. Magazines, newspapers, TV, etc. Muscle magazines are a good, accessible means of promotion for you. Three, when contacting various publications, be aggressive but courteous and grateful for any help they can give you. Four, if you are approached by a magazine, do not ask how much you will make, but rather how you can be of assistance to them. Because muscle magazines are usually understaffed and overworked and run on small budgets, any pictures, articles, or information of yourself that you can supply will usually be greatly appreciated. Five, understand all the implications of model releases. Six, when making career decisions, don't be penny-wise and pound-foolish. Think through all decisions and their possible ramifications. Think of your career as a maze. You must make the right decisions to move on and get to the end, the top. Seven, as the most important part of a bodybuilding contest is that time before and after the event, make sure you can socialize with people at the show who can help you in your career, promoters, magazine editors, photographers, etc. Eight, you are only usable when you are in shape, so stay in shape. Nine, always carry eight by 10 glossies of yourself with contact information listed on the back of each photo. Try not to use your home address or phone number. 10, do not step on people on the way up. It will always come back to you. 11, when faced with a potentially negative situation, use tact. Example, a photographer wants to take pictures of you backstage at a show and you don't want him to. If you say no, be polite. All right. So now we'll go on to the next issue, which is Flex December 1986. 
And this was the one, unfortunately, where Gladys left Brian for Jean-Claude. So the article is actually kind of short, but in the beginning of the magazine, there was the Musselanius, which is Rick Wayne's gossip column. And of course, this was the lead story. It says, remember that little item in our last issue concerning Brian Moss, who, like a certain conveniently nameless, nosy reporter, was simply dying to discover the real story behind the Gladys Portuguese Brian Moss picture? Well, boy, oh boy, oh boy, have we got news. For openers, bodybuilding's most desirable property has called it a day as far as the Miss Olympia contest is concerned. She'll continue working for better bodies for another year at least, but when it comes to managing her personal life, well, Gladys has found herself a better body. Two-time world kickboxing champion Jean-Claude Van Damme. Already Jean-Claude has taken Gladys to Belgium to meet his mama, and Gladys says that come June 1987, she'll be Mrs. Van Damme and quite possibly a mama in her own right. Meanwhile, the soon-to-be-weds are setting up home in Los Angeles, where Gladys plans to launch a new career in film. Jean-Claude is among the stars of Hunter, Arnold's latest. The couple first met during a muscle and fitness photo shoot in Mexico while Brian was looking after better bodies in New York. How is he taking the new development? According to some sources, not very well. On the other hand, there are those who insist that Brian doesn't give a Van Damme. And then, of course, they got the picture in here of Brian reading the How to Pick Up Girls book <laughs> that Brian talked about in the interview. All right. And then at the end of the magazine, there's another article, which is the cover story, because like I said, this was on the cover. Gladys heads west. And it says, Gladys Portuguese is in love. She has fallen hook, line, and sinker for an extremely handsome, well-dressed guy who wears a divine smelling cologne. His name is Jean-Claude Van Damme. He is Belgian. He is a two-time international karate kickboxing champion. He is an actor currently starring in Arnold Schwarzenegger's latest movie, Hunter, and about to star in a series of films called Blood Sports, about different combat sports. He is also, and fellas, at this point, you better sit down, Gladys's fiance. And their getting together makes a romantic tale. For two years, Jean-Claude has known that he wanted Gladys for his wife. He had followed her bodybuilding and modeling careers from afar, and finally, he had his chance to meet her for the first time five months ago at a swimsuit photo shoot for Muscle and Fitness. Jean-Claude nearly missed the shoot because of his filming schedule on the Hunter set, but an unexpected break in filming left him with some free time. He called MNF creative director Jim Chada to say that he could still make the photo shoot, and he asked who else would be there. At the mention of Gladys's name, he caught the next plane. Gladys had heard that someone was coming, especially to see her, and at five o'clock in the afternoon, when the sun setting by the sea, they were introduced. The setting was perfect, but Gladys was all business. Indeed, it was not until the fifth and final day of the photo shoot at a nightclub that Gladys's business mien started melting. They arranged to meet in L.A. for lunch. When Gladys headed back to the East Coast, she felt unusually weird and depressed. Three weeks elapsed, and John Claude, still filming Hunter, called to say he was coming to New York to see her. He returned to the film, but three days later, he called again to say that he couldn't be without her. He was coming to New York. She took him to meet her parents, who immediately fell in love with him and said they had not seen Gladys so happy in a long time. Jean-Claude then took her to Belgium to meet his parents, who loved her to death. In a show of affection reserved for special friends, his mother took off her shoes and rubbed her feet against Gladys's leg. Instant chemistry on all sides. Jean-Claude took her to the church where he was baptized. It was quiet and empty, except for an old man coughing in a back pew. There, he and Gladys exchanged promises to each other and to seal the vows. He slipped a diamond ring on her finger. The beauty of the moment left Gladys breathless. She even forgot to look at the ring. 
Well, that's how it happened, folks. And honestly, you should see the two of them together. A couple of proverbial lovebirds. Gladys says this is 110% positive, and the look in Jean-Claude's eyes when he gazes at Gladys tells the whole story. The wedding date is set for the end of June 1987 in Brussels, where after a quiet ceremony in the U.S., they plan to have a big, fat wedding. Well, now that Gladys has broken the hearts of all you hot-to-trot men out there, I guess we had better deliver the second blow. Gladys is giving up competitive bodybuilding. Yep, seems that the lure of L.A. and filmdom has wombed the fair lady over to its western shores. In August, she and Jean-Claude are moving to Los Angeles, where Gladys is all set to follow up on some promising leads in the movies. Word is that a video is on its way and possibly a film offering a leading role. Her second book is coming out soon, and she says has ideas for two more. Congratulations, Gladys, on all counts. Your absence will be sorely felt on the Miss Olympia stage. Wow. I'll tell you, I felt bad for Brian when I read this. <laughs> I was like 23 years old, and I think all of us were in love with Rachel and Gladys back then in the bodybuilding world. And yeah, that broke my heart reading that. And Jean-Claude, of course, the movie they're talking about, The Hunter, was actually The Predator. They changed it from The Hunter to Predator. And Jean-Claude was supposed to play The Predator. If you guys don't know that, he was in this outfit and it wasn't working. He couldn't see out of the outfit and he looked terrible. It looked like a bug. It looked like a green bug instead of the Predator that they eventually ended up using. But it didn't work out. They looked at the dailies and they saw it and he looked ridiculous. And they said, there's no way this is going to work. So Jean-Claude got fired or was let go from the set. And then Peter Baker Hall, I believe his name was, was the other actor who came in. And Peter is like, I think, seven feet tall. So they made a new outfit. Stan Winston, who was the great special effects expert, he worked on the makeup for The Predator. And he did a lot of other great films, Alien. He came in and he fixed things up and he made the Predator outfit. And of course, that movie is iconic, as we mentioned. I think it's probably my favorite Arnold movie ever. So that was the movie. And then, of course, Jean-Claude did go on and make Bloodsport. They called it Blood Sports in the article, but it was Bloodsport. And then he became a huge movie star in the late 1980s, early 1990s. And I believe him and Gladys had, I think, two, two children. I think a boy and a girl, if I'm not mistaken. And I know they did get divorced because Jean-Claude cheated on her. I think it was with the wife of Tropicana tanning lotion, I believe. He met her at a party. In fact, it was weird. I think Gladys and this lady were both wearing the same dress. It was in a magazine. They made fun of it, and they took a picture of them together. And that's the one that Jean-Claude ended up having an affair with, and then that didn't last. I think he actually married her, and then that didn't last. They got divorced, and then he went back to Gladys, and I believe they're still back together. I'm not sure. I don't have the update on what's going on. But Jean-Claude, I don't believe, makes any movies anymore, but I know he was on a cable show called JCVD. So I'll have to check that out again, maybe, and see what's going on with Jean-Claude Van Damme. But thank you to Brian Moss for that great interview. It was really fun talking to him. He's a very insightful person, very intelligent. So it was great talking about the sport of bodybuilding and especially his experience and his contributions to it back in the early 1980s, which were very significant. And he continues as a photographer. All right, guys, that's it for the show. Next week, we will either be back with a sixth anniversary show where I'll put together some clips from the past six years and we might make that two parts. Or I'm trying to get an interview with Steve Weinberger, the IFBB head judge. And Steve said he would like to come on the show. So we might have that interview as well. So stay tuned 
and we'll see what we got in store for us next week as we head into our seventh year of the Bodybuilding Legends podcast. Thanks to you guys again for all your support. Thanks for listening. Thanks particularly to our Patreon donors for always contributing to the show and helping it keep going. All right, guys, have a great workout this week. Stay strong, stay healthy, and we will see you guys next week. Take care.